Welcome. I'm Warren Odess Gillette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Faresh de Bethel on December 21, 2021. I had interviewed Faresh Day before on this program, and we reconnected. She proposed that we talk about the gun culture here in the U.S. We had been planning this interview for many months, so it's a coincidence that this interview comes out just weeks after, on the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, when a 15-year-old comes to a school with his new Christmas present, a semi-automatic handgun, and kills four classmates and wounds seven others, including a teacher. Fereshte has a Ph.D. in psychology and was a licensed clinical psychologist. She's made presentations on psychosocial and religious topics around the world. I started the interview by asking Fereshte what is her understanding regarding the U.S. Constitution's Second Amendment regarding civilians bearing arms. As you may know, only three countries in the world protect the right to own and bear arms in their constitutions. The U.S. is one of them, Mexico is another one, and so is Guatemala. The initial proposed passage relating to arms in the U.S., in the U.S. Constitution of 1787 was that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. A well-armed and well-regulated militia, military force raised from civilians, being the best security of a free country. The original reason for the Second Amendment, which was ratified after the Constitution in 1791, actually just about 230 years ago, was proposed by James Madison to allow the creation of civilian forces that can counteract a tyrannical federal government. And this was because of the issues they had with United Kingdom previously. So these things were stipulated at that time into the Constitution. And the U.S. Supreme Court has recently ruled that the amendment protects an individual's right to keep weapons at home for self-defense unconnected to militia services. Such language has created considerable debate regarding the amendment's intended scope and the context of the times over two centuries ago. However, some true believers in the Second Amendment uphold personal freedom over public safety with a preference for the feelings of their own safety and liberty, and not someone else's, which its mishandling of abuse can cause havoc, 
can cause a lot of tragedies, bloodshed, and pain for many people, directly or indirectly. In these cases, the liberty promised by the Declaration of Independence is interfering with life and pursuit of happiness of others who become victims in ways that the founding fathers could have never imagined. Mm -hmm. Many uphold that protecting individual rights from government overreach is at the core of what sets the U.S. apart from the rest of the world. It helped the country break free from a monarchy and withstand the pull of fascism and dictatorship and communism. At least that was said at the time. In line with this perspective and understanding, let me share with you a personal experience I had some years ago while teaching about guns within the context of social psychology to students of a college in Southern California. At the end of one of the class sessions, a male student in his mid to late 20s approached me and asked me if I could give him a five minute time to speak to his classmates at the next class session in favor of guns for self-defense. I warmly welcomed it and said to him that I will give him instead 10 minutes instead of five and for him to address his classmates. Well, at the next class, he made an organized presentation and amongst other things, he stated that at night, he puts his gun under his own pillow. His wife has one under her pillow and his eight-year-old daughter also sleeps with a gun under her pillow and that she has been taught how to shoot. Well, not only me, but also the students were shocked by what they had heard. He also shared that he wants himself and his family to be protected from an intruder and in case communism takes over the U.S., they will all be protected and be able to fight back from their homes. Well, I felt that this young man has lots of fear and anxiety and perhaps did not know about the research of the time that roughly about three-fourths of all murders by firearms are committed by shooters who know the victim, such as a member of their own family, a friend, a relative, a colleague, co-worker, classmate, teacher, or somewhat you know, of an acquaintance of some sort or an associate of some sort, for different reasons, many of which include high tensions of different degrees 
in relationships. Family dynamics and guns within reach can sometimes raise havoc and great tragedies with much regret, but often too late. Even curious children and teenagers can find the key or the means of access to the locked guns. Then I explained that if a communist country is strong enough to come and take over the U.S. government, it will not be afraid of your guns in your home and will most likely be able to break into your home to get hold of you. From this experience, I came to the realization that often fear does not allow us to think clearly and weigh things out before taking action. So maybe for a little background, you could tell us a little bit about the gun industry in the United States. There is plenty to be said, but I'll, I'll say as briefly as possible. Reportedly from 2008 to 2018, three manufacturers have been responsible for producing more than 58% of pistols made here. Guns are the only consumer products manufactured in the U.S. that are not subject to federal health and safety regulations. There have been improvement in the production and sophistication of guns in design, speed, size, like high capacity, micro compact handguns, gaining in popularity amongst many and other variations and so on and so forth. Very different than decades ago, especially that sales went up globally during the pandemic by one report, 250% increase in the e-commerce because also they have international buyers too. The type of consumers has also changed. Before they were predominantly males in their early to mid-adulthood, now you can see quite a few females. A small minority of the buyers purchase them for hunting. Mostly they buy for self-protection or protection of their household members and also feeling a sense of security and empowerment. Gun sales have been a big business, especially in the US, but in some other countries too, and directly related to Wall Street and often to the benefit of shareholders and of course, the manufacturers. No doubt a major reason for the push of armaments, especially after each mass shooting and creation of fear, the lines of the brick and mortar gun shops have been increasing in size. Regarding gun culture, 
there is a lot to be said about how it actually developed over many years, going back all the way to the independence of this country from the United Kingdom, the civil war and lots of other things. Don't want to take up the time here. Also, the evangelical strain of thought often appeared among gun makers and made them certain that they are making the world safer and more secure by arming the weak, which was later on this outlook that benefited them by creating fear amongst the more impressionable segment of society followed by higher sales and profits. So Fereshte, what is the number of civilians owning guns in the U.S.? The small arms survey say that U.S. civilians almost account for about 393 million guns, which is about 46% of the worldwide total of civilians having firearms. Although population of the U.S. being about 331 million based on last year's census, which is about 4.25% of the total world's population. This amounts to 120.5 firearms for every 100 residents. And you know, many people actually do not have guns in their homes or they don't own guns. So that means some own a lot more. It ranks the U.S. number one in firearms per capita, per number of people in the world. In other words, there are more guns than people in the U.S. owned by Americans. Some own more than one gun, as I said. 39% of men to 22% of women say they own a gun. So that's what the civilian rate of owning guns in brief is in the U.S. And from your perspective, Fereshte, what does the extent of gun violence in America imply? As of the updated report, April of this year, they found out that the average death per year is 39,000. Suicide is about 24,000. I'm rounding these off so we won't be left with a bunch of numbers. And that is roughly two-thirds in suicide out of 39,000. Police shootings underreported usually by CDC due to misclassification that it happened by accident, it was his fault, stuff like that, is about 521. Homicide is about 14,000. And unintentional deaths are about 500 like a kid picking up the gun and killing his father. And undetermined 
deaths. Sometimes they cannot figure out whether the person committed suicide or did he die because of some other reason. That's about 324. These are the figures that government gives us. It implies that we have a problem that needs to be taken care of, addressed, and hopefully fixed. Why do you think gun sales continue to rise despite the rising cases of mass shootings? You know, that's an interesting phenomenon. Mass shootings usually create more fears, which lead up to the higher sales, because they think that if they were there and had their guns with them, they would have killed the shooter, which perhaps is true, but not realizing that if everyone got armed, we will be having a lot more tragedies following that. Since everyone who loses his or her temper could have a higher chance pulling out his gun and shooting somebody. It will most likely be a war zone if we all carried our guns with us. We never know when we're gonna lose it. Washington Post reported that in 2020, it was actually the highest and the deadliest gun violence year in decades. So far, 2021 hasn't been doing all that good either. And it's been considered that it may very well be worse than last year. So we will find out. Many believe that mass shootings in the US are a national and international embarrassment. According to Forbes, in April of 2021, reported that there have been 147 mass shootings since the beginning of the year, more than one mass shooting per day, each comprised of at least four people getting killed, excluding the perpetrator. In other words, they consider it mass shooting if there are at least four people who have been killed but that excludes the shooter. So if the shooter died too, then that would make it five. But four is the minimum that they consider mass shooting. But most gun deaths are not in mass shooting settings. At the beginning of this year, the prediction was that more than twice as many Americans will die from gun violence in 2021 than service members in Afghanistan in nearly 20 years. So in one year, our death rate would be higher than all the 20 years of our servicemen in Afghanistan. That tells you a lot. In 2018, it was reported that the US had 57 times as many school shootings as the other major industrialized nations combined. In most countries of the world, there are lots of restrictions about civilian ownership of guns or they are completely forbidden. CDC in recent years 
such as in 2019, reported that more Americans died from firearms than automobile accidents. And yet we drive most every day, but don't use our guns most every day. This is another issue which maybe we'll address later on, comparing the use of guns with knives, or some even claim that when you use the car, that is also it can kill people. A car has a utility for transportation. A gun usually is for killing someone. Or killing something, a hunter, exactly. yeah. Exactly. Its means is pretty clear. The utility of it is pretty clear. Usually you don't buy a knife to kill, but you buy a knife to cut piece of meat and cutting up vegetables and fruits and so on and so forth. So the purpose of it is not to harm. Now if somebody picks it up and uses it against someone else, of course, then it becomes a weapon. Or if you pick up a chair and hit somebody over the head, that becomes a weapon. But the utility of the chair is not for killing, but it is for sitting on it. There are battlefields that have erupted in the U.S quite regularly, where numerous people get gunned down in a few minutes' time, be they in schools, places of offices, of work, FedEx facility we had, I think it was some months ago, churches, shopping centers, or grocery stores, or just about anywhere else that you could think of where humans gather together. Somebody could get angry, and if he or she is armed, could attack someone else or a group of people. So, in regards to mass shootings, from your perspective, is it always true that these mass shootings take place due to mental illness of the perpetrator? You know, that's a very interesting question. Blaming mental health issues is used more for deflection and distraction of the masses than the underlying problems of society, such as drugs, alcohol, poverty, lack of proper education, and availability of or access to guns. In the name of self-defense and self-protection, Tapping into the fears and insecurities of people combined with the consumer's fascination, obsession, and a false sense of empowerment are some of the contributing and moving factors for the purchasing of firearms. Arming America as I said before, is financially very profitable for the manufacturers, main investors, shareholders, but at the moral and emotional cost of many, which includes the average folks and even poor people, where crime rate tends to be higher. Many ER doctors are dealing with these people and are saying that gun violence is indeed a health emergency. 
we are not trying to ban cars, they say. We're trying to use seat belts and drunk driving laws to make it safe. We need to use the same approach to the use of guns for the prevention of so many gun violence as well. Fareshte, what about the dynamics of anger, aggression, and offense within and between civilians and police? That's a very good question as well as very timely. The police dynamic is quite complex and multifaceted, which includes a lot of tension, fear, sometimes racial discrimination or categorization of people into being criminal, therefore different treatment follows. So it's a very complex phenomenon, it's not that simple. Another issue is that police is also afraid of people being armed. Therefore, there is a higher chance for conflict because if both are in fear, one say has been arrested or one has been stopped, there is a lot of fear and tension there. And the other one being the police may be assuming that the guy or the gal that he has stopped may be armed. So that creates a different tension level. In some countries, police are not armed. Therefore, there is less chance of clash and tragedy following. There is definitely a higher possibility that if people were not armed, less police shootings and killings will take place. And vice versa, civilians killing police, because that's another challenge. But in both cases, we need to consider the psychology and the dynamics of police getting together with a civilian and the way that we have been raised to think of an officer. Some, of course, respect the officers. Others think that the officer is his enemy and is going to come after him and destroy him. So they become defensive, and if they are armed, the chances of an irrational, emotional response are higher for them to take their gun and start shooting, and oftentimes they get killed themselves. So it's a real dilemma, which again, with serious consideration of whether the public needs to be armed or not, this issue can be resolved considerably from harming either party, whether it's the police or the civilian. What is the emotional and moral toll on families and society as a whole as a result of this situation? There are many. The consequences of violence are more pervasive and affect entire communities, families and children than we can imagine with more than 25% of children witnessing acts of violence and shootings. However, many people are into the regulation of guns, rather than whether we should have them in the first place, especially in our homes with children around and in public places where some states allow for that. 
a lot needs to be genuinely with pure motivation and wanting the well-being of the human race needs to be considered in order to have a healthier and happier society, one where we would not have to constantly live in fear because we know fear causes a lot of disturbance and a lot of reactions that may not be all that necessary if we trusted the system and not think that people or others or police or government is always after us. In the long run, the chances are higher in getting hurt than hurting someone else. One area that I like to focus here on is the subject of suicide in the US. The suicide rate is 10 times that of other high income countries. And that's one reason is availability of guns, accessibility of it. Access to a gun triples the risk of death by suicide, makes it three times more when you have access to it. And when you're home, you're depressed, you're unhappy, you have fight with somebody, or the world hasn't treated you well, or you've been fired from a job, the chances are higher for a reactionary thing when you have a gun at home than if you did not have. White men represent about 73% of firearm suicide victims in America. Regarding homicide, more than one third of the gun deaths are homicide. Two thirds roughly is suicide, but a little bit more, one third is homicide. U.S. homicide rate is 25 times that of other high-income countries. So money is not doing us all that good, or the extreme wealth. Access to a gun doubles the risk of death by homicide. And black Americans represent the majority of gun homicide victims in this country. In fact, black Americans are 10 times more likely than white Americans to die by gun homicide. And of course, we have a lot of reports about children and teenagers. More than 1,800 die from gun homicide per year. And more than 13 are mostly connected to domestic or family violence. Black children are 14 times more likely than white kids to die from gun homicide. So there is a lot to cover on this subject, and what can we do? That's right. So what solutions do you propose for Day to address these issues? Well, the solution would be for people themselves to examine the benefits versus the harm of bearing arms by the average folk or the civilians. This may require access to accurate and honest scientific information, not one that is funded by an industry that has self-interest in it. Some believe that the root cause of gun violence is the Second Amendment. 
And that is why so very many guns are very easily obtained. And yet there are those who worry about government taking their rights away. Guns in the U.S. have been heavily politicized, like COVID has been politicized, the pandemic, the vaccine and all those things, and played into the fears of people for its monetary profitability. Elections, voting for someone who will protect their gun rights, and also for power and so on. The lobbying for guns and campaigns of many potential members of the House of Representatives and Senate have been funded and promoted by the weapons industry so that they would, once elected, support the access to firearms and make them more available and highly desirable means for protection, but not telling the voter that the ratio to harm cause injuries and killings are many times higher and that the chances for members of a family to get hurt by the mistaken or even intentional use of the weapon are also quite a bit higher than killing an intruder. And the worst outcome of the availability of guns at homes is suicide, which has the highest rate of possibility for doing harm to oneself. Having said this, founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, confirms an injunction which was contained in the book of his predecessor who came to foretell his coming, just like John the Baptist who came to foretell the coming of Christ, he forbids the carrying of arms or being armed unless it is necessary to do so. With regard to circumstances under which the bearing of arms might be essential for an individual, his son, his appointed successor, of his teachings and covenant permitted a Baha'i, a believer, for self-protection in a dangerous environment, underlying dangerous environment. And also his successor has said that in an emergency when there is no legal force, that means there is no police, when there is no legal force at hand to appeal to, a Baha'i is justified in defending his life. So as you can see, Baha'u'llah, founder of the Baha'i faith, who proclaims he's the manifestation of God for this day and age in sequence of all the manifestations and prophets who came before him, he forbids us from bearing arms. After all, the purpose is to unite the world, not divide it. Then it's something to look into and consider it seriously to see what benefit that has. You have perhaps heard that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. 
sometimes a ton of cure, especially when it comes to firearms. One preventive measure is improving the early childhood upbringing and education in relation to aggression, teaching proper human virtues in relation to each other, changing attitude about life and love of humans, even the attitude of not wanting to harm someone else through practicing empathy by parents who can teach us how to empathize with the pain of others, which is one of the best ways to help the development of the child and passing on empathy to him or her. Baha'is can teach their children that Baha'i law forbids the bearing of arms, except in times of necessity, explaining what necessity is, etc. Let us all be better than the history we have been raised in by logically, not emotionally, examining these important matters by looking at the facts, not just what somebody else of influence may be saying, rather what is the best approach to the protection of self as well as family and society at large. Neighborhood discussions can help a lot provided we don't politicize it and give our perspectives and viewpoints based on what is in the best interests of all. In the fearless culture, it says, there are only two ways to lead. You either divide and conquer, which many countries of the world, and especially politicians who have more authoritarian mentality, but in the name of democracy, they believe in either divide and conquer, which is the approach most politicians and even some religious leaders use, or you build and unite through unity in diversity, not necessarily unity in uniformity, meaning to hear the perspectives of others, see where they're coming from, don't look at their political orientation, rather listen to them and see if it makes sense for the entire human race, rather than for just one group to the exclusion of the rest. So Fareshte, I really want to thank you for taking this time to share your perspective on this very important issue in regards to the gun culture in, in the U.S. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I hope you found that interview informative with Fareshte Bethel, who has a PhD in psychology and has made presentations on psychosocial and religious topics around the world. You can find this interview and other interviews on the website abahaiperspective.com and on the YouTube channel Abahai Perspective. You can also find the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org 
or you can call the number 1-800-22UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Subservience and subjugated turbulence I took the earliest opportunity to be like Perseus So the next time that I'm looking for confirmations I look up to the sky and I embrace the constellations These words flow fresh from my mouth like I'm coughing mints There is a higher power and it's dropping hints On how to reach spiritual opulence The copy prints that box me and we're trying to stop me since I broke free and saw the rays of the sunshine But once you're found you can never unfind So breathe in, breathe out and begin to reach out. those times that I got cheated out but now I'm a changed man moving fast like a cheetah's mouth my mistakes they look small like snakes look to an eagle snout I'm a leader now I'll give you something you can blast through your speakers now I'll give you something that lasts I'll send a beacon now and when you hear it don't fear it believe it loud we are not robots we are the people now you're better than the gossip that you tweet about 
nobility is yours, be it now. So breathe in, breathe out, and begin to reach out. Cognizant hypothesis, what you believe could be opposite. I believe in God and in His providence. I have confidence. All these broken promises in the metropolis is so bottomless. Living this anonymous life without consequence makes the populace so homogenous. Your racism is still dominant. From the cowboy boots to the moccasins, fake tolerance is so prominent. It's an accomplishment to be honest with your consciousness and just honor it. The prophecies are fulfilled because Baha'u'llah is upon us now. Conversation. My friend asked me what the weather's like. I tell him to take a rain check because it never stops raining on the rolling hills to my cheekbones. Sometimes I just hate myself. Every single thing someone says about me hits like gunshots raining down on my chest. Maybe we were just wired this way. They tell you to find your happy place, but they never leave you a compass. All they leave you is alone. Desperately trying to find some air while drowning in your own despair. There's always a wall, always another hurdle. They tell you just to be strong so you can push them down But you're out of breath Wondering how the people that made you this way could sink so low Soaked in all the troubles, all the responsibilities And so much pressure, it feels like the pain is filling up your lungs Suffocating your breath, drowning out your voice Trust me, I know how you feel I'm just here to reach out to you Over all 
passion and hope This is our generation And if we trust And with love on our side We can conquer the world As the sun sets the world starts dreaming This is our chance to Llegó la hora de aclararse 